Hello, I am Len. I am the host of uh, Targeted Justice v. Garland, a podcast about an extraordinary lawsuit. And today is episode 40. This has been a week during which we were given thanks to what's important in our lives. And I'm thankful for fighting side by side with a person I'm proud to call my friend. Please say hello to my Sunday co-host, a woman of many talents, an attorney of impeccable stature, a Sherlock Holmes of all things targeting, wonderful Anna Talita. Hello, Anna. Hi, Lynn. Thank you so much for those words. And I am equally grateful for you and for the amazing family that I have uh, found in the, in the, this targeted community. Because even though my real family was taken away from me, I now have really meaningful friends here. And I'm, and I'm also have to say how grateful I am for having a purpose, a really big purpose in my life, which is ending this horrible program. Um, before I had, like I have said many times, I had a happy life despite the inconveniences of being targeted and not even knowing about it. But now I have a really meaningful life. And, uh, and I thank you all for that. And I thank you. Thank you, Anna. We are definitely a part of something so much bigger than all of us. Today's show will uncover yet another secret of how the rights of targeted individuals have been blatantly taken away by the agencies that have not given us these rights and how they're covering their tracks while conducting undoubtedly illegal activity. Let's not make our viewers wait and get right to the legal update. Today's legal update, I called the disappearing sentences. On the last week show, we talked about the discrepancies between the two versions of the opening brief that Anna filed on September 5th, and it contained two sentences in question on page 20. And then on the very next day, Anna, you refiled this to correct a reference for court clerk's request. And in that version, the sentences disappeared. And we discussed the mechanics. We don't know exactly how it happened, but you did not delete it. Nevertheless, the fact remains that these sentences disappeared. That's what's important. And I want to show everybody specifically what the sentences are. So here's the September 5 version. Highlighted. None of them, referring to the plaintiffs uh, as law-abiding citizens, none of them has ever been arrested, indicted, judged, convinced, or sentenced for a terrorist-related offense. None of the plaintiffs encounter security or screening obstacles when traveling. These two sentences disappeared from the September 5th version. The first sentence is still there, and then the rest disappeared. Would you like to make any comments about this? No, I just have to reiterate that it it's not the court's fault that the version that left my house for filing on the 6th that was retroactively filed with the date of the of the 5th didn't contain those two sentences, but I didn't delete it. So I can just say that I don't know how it happened, but it happened before 
leaving my computer for filing in court. Understood. So Anna started investigation into the significance of this sentence. I remember the moment when I asked you, Anna, what do you think the significance of these sentences that disappeared? And uh, your first answer was, well, I'm going to refile and we're going to have these sentences back. But then you started your investigation. You never stopped looking into things. And you said that in Kovac v. Ray, which is another legal case, in front of the same uh, Court of Appeals in the Fifth Circuit contains almost identical sentences. And we talked talked about it on the last show. Look how close this is. All There, there are two versions of this sentence in, the, in their brief. All of the plaintiffs are law-abiding American citizens who have been arrested, indicted, or convicted of a terrorism-related offense. And there's a second version. Plaintiffs are U.S. citizens who have never been charged, arrested, or convicted of a terrorism-related offense. I mean, it doesn't get any closer, right? And when the uh, police, the defendant, the government defendants file their brief, they immediately, just without skipping a beat, the first objection that they filed, they said they objected to this sentence as an attempt of plaintiffs to interject other issues. How valid do you think this argument is? Well, the thing is that at a district court level, it is true. The plaintiffs didn't argue that. So there is a rule that if you didn't argue it at a district court level, you're precluded from arguing it at a court of appeals level. But it just struck me that when they included that, because, you know, the the uh, argument at the district court level, which I told you, I, I think it's just so merit worthy. And it is that the TSCB impacts the lives of so many in so many ways that it has to be an act of Congress authorizing it. And there is no such thing as an act of Congress, a statute authorizing it. So that's what they had been arguing all along. And and for the first time, they argued that in their appeal brief. But what I think is, if the government hadn't jumped and and said, no, 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 you can't say that, I probably, and and probably the court wouldn't even pay much attention to it. But, But just the fact that they jump out and said, no, you can't, you can't talk about, you can't talk about that. You can't mention that. That, and that coupled with you know, the disappearance of my sentences makes me believe, you know, made me keep searching because there's certainly something there that is making them very antsy about it. And Anna went to investigate. Let's see where the crumbs lead to. Anna, I'm going to start calling you Anna Holmes, if you don't mind. (laughs) (laughs) So... Why are the government defendants singled out this specific sentence? Like, just like you said, they latched onto it immediately. This was their first objection. And why did almost identical sentences disappeared from our legal brief in Target Justice v. Garland? And let's see where it leads to. And what you told me and your investigation led to the National Crime Information Center, 
or NCIC. This is an FBI outlet. It's maintained by the FBI. was launched in 1967 and last updated in 1999. That's a typo. So the purpose of this is to provide a computerized database for ready access and distribution to a law enforcement agencies and non-criminal justice agencies. Does it sound familiar? Information about TIs is also distributed to 18,000 law enforcement and 1,440 organizations and uh, 532 corporations. This is distribution of information. However, when you look at the regulations, the categories of individuals covered by the systems do not include law-abiding citizens who have never been arrested, indicted, or convicted. So that is an amazing discovery. And I applaud you for it. And that's why I call you Sherlock Holmes. Because once again, this is a distribution of information about law-abiding citizens is illegal. And that makes us question, is this the reason behind the staunch objection to the disappearing sentences in Corvus v. Ray and in uh, Target Justice v. Garland? By vehemently objecting to and removing these disappearing sentences from the briefs, the defendants are showing their hand. They're showing their vulnerabilities. They jumped at it with such a force that it shows where the vulnerability is, I think. So yeah, so this is an indication of the vulnerable as aspects of the defendant's strategy. Information about law-abiding citizens who have never been arrested, indicted, or convicted is not eligible for the distribution through National Crimes Information System or Center, NCIC. Again, I don't know how they disappeared, so I want to make that very clear. But in the in the appeal brief, I do mention the NCIC because I, I, I did a search. I mentioned it five times, that and that's precisely you know the gist of our argument, which which the government completely ignored because they want to go into the fantastical narrative, is that law-abiding citizens are not to be. It's government defamation to be labeled as a suspected terrorist when they have not been arrested, indicted, tried, accused, or convicted, or sentenced of any terrorist offense. So that, you see, if those sentences wouldn't have disappeared, I wouldn't have realized that that is what the government or the defendants, you know, fear the most. We have something called the presumption of innocence in the United States. And you cannot be putting people, innocent people on lists just because without probable cause. That list contains the most wanted lists. But let's say somebody, there is an outstanding arrest warrant for the person. But that warrant is there because there is probable cause. There is probably a sworn statement. Somebody went before a judge with those facts and obtained an arrest warrant for that person. But that doesn't happen with targeted individuals who FBI former Deputy Director Timothy Grow admitted there are a lot of people on that list that don't meet the terrorist criteria. So th the gist of it is, like you say, there is no room for law-abiding citizens 
in any of the 14 lists distributed by NCIC, with the exception of missing persons, that there is a list there for missing persons, of course, because it this is distributed throughout the nation and through, you know, Interpol, uh, other countries for people that are uh, have been kidnapped or, or disappeared. Uh, but other than that exception, I think most of them are, are just people that have either been uh, convicted, there's an outstanding arrest warrant, they are violent gang members, and it has been documented with sworn statements and going before an Article Three court judge, which is what makes things legal, you know? That is our whole fight with the FISA court is that it's not the equivalent of an Article Three court that gives the guarantees, the due process guarantees to the person that is affected. So yeah, those that's the key. And that's what we have been insisting that the government cannot be telling all those people that these people are suspected terrorists when they are law-abiding citizens. I have a question for you in relation to the slide and the NCIC. Are you aware of any alternative way by which FBI would distribute this kind of information? I don't think there is. I think that by law, because of the creation of this NCIC, you see, for this to be created, it's authorized by law. So I think that, and, and there's a federal regulations, a federal register. There, It is a centralized compilation of 14 lists. I think, though, that, for example, like we saw in Washington state, that they have their own little list of somebody that supposedly he's aggressive or not friendly to law enforcement. But I think they are all derivatives of the of the lists contained in the NCIC. That's what I think. Because otherwise it would be like highly illegal to be blacklisting people just like that. I think they, they all derive from this main source of lists. That's a very reasonable answer. And I think with the depth of your research, when you're specifically looking at all these aspects, what are the components? How the information is created, how it's distributed, how it's utilized, you would know, you would find out if there's another way to distribute information. So I completely agree with you. This is probably the way the information is distributed. At least this is our legal theory. We can know. No, I, I know. I know for a fact. Uh-huh. It's That's why it's called National Crime Information System. They have a compilation and they continue to update them and they include obviously the TSDB in this distribution. That's why we have been saying all along, it's illegal for the FBI. That's why the FBI is a defendant in violation of the Privacy Act because they are distributing private information about people that is also false and defamatory because they are, for example, in your case, they're saying, Dr. Lambert is a suspected terrorist. That is distributed to all those thousands of agencies that when you multiply it by the number of employees that get access to it, it may be in the millions, you know, of people that get access to this information. So I know it's one system from where that feeds that feeds all law enforcement agencies. 
the story of the disappearing sentences. This is how I'm going to uh, call this year. I'm already giving, the, giving it away because I'm so excited. Mm -hmm. But the conclusions are really mind-boggling. What you put together based on these hints and facts and investigation is truly amazing. You latched on the fact of the distribution of the information. It's counterintuitive. You would think, well, yes, we just need to find the, the TSDB. But the fact that information about law-abiding citizen, not convicted, not blah, 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 is distributed, that aspect is so staunchly objected by the defendants that I think they're just showing us their cards shown us uh, their vulnerability this is amazing everybody out there who follows the lawsuit of the century make sure that this is going to be a crucial point in our oral arguments and all the things going forward would you agree here's the thing how do you tell a court how do you argue before a court that it's okay to have the names of hundreds of thousands of law-abiding citizens on a terrorist list when you acknowledge that they don't meet terrorist criteria. And they're, they're placed there under secret criteria. It, it, there is absolutely no way how to defend that. That is why the defendants don't argue. They don't argue in the reply brief. They just went off that you know, um, I didn't discuss jurisdiction or, or it's fantastical, you know, the, the whole, the same narrative. They don't go to the gist of explaining or arguing that, in fact, it's perfectly legal to include innocent people on a terrorist database with, under secret criteria. I agree. Let's move on. Our second story tonight is tightly connected with our legal update and will show you yet another illegality in connection to the distribution of information about uh, law-abiding American citizens. Let's get to the story. This is a story that Anna shared with me. As you can see, this is a segment called From, uh, from the Desk of Anna Toledo. <laughs> and it's been featured in several uh, publications, including uh, Gateway Pundit, that we've been covering quite a bit lately. Let's see what the story is. The story actually is about a clip of the Air Marshal National Council Director uh, who stuns Fox News host when she reveals marshals are quietly following every person who flew to D.C. around January 6, 2021. Let's watch the clip. We're not flying right now. The only missions that we're doing are Quiet Skies missions, and those are missions that are following the January 2021 people. So we're either on the border uh, for illegal immigrants or we're following folks from January 2021. We're not doing our regular missions where we're out there looking for the bad guys. So right now on uh, most flights, you're not going to have air marshals. What do you mean by that? You're following January 2021 people. What does that mean? That means our primary mission is a little group called Quiet Skies. It's a mission called Quiet Skies that we're following people that flew into the National Capital Region in January 2021. You did not have to go to the Capitol or the rally, and you've been put on a specific list that TSA now has assigned air marshals 
to follow these people who have not had uh, any type of criminal investigation. They haven't committed a crime, but yet three years later, we're following the same individuals day in and day out. So you're saying that air marshals are now following people that were at the Capitol uh, on January 6th, and they're not tracking terrorists at all. Well, they didn't even have to be at the Capitol, Carly. They could have just flown into the National Capital Region. So if anybody was there for um, a job interview, to visit family, we even had a gentleman that was there for a funeral. They put put on this domestic terrorist list just because of their geographic location to Washington, D.C. So these people did not even commit a crime. They weren't even at the Capitol. What? Do those people know that they're on this list? Some of them do, because when they go to the airport, they get the quadruses on their boarding pass, and then they have to go through enhanced security. Then they're followed by teams of air marshals on, on any leg of flight that they have. So, yes, a lot of them do know that they're being followed, yet they haven't been vetted, and they have not committed a crime. And three years later, we're still doing the same duty, and we followed the same people over and over for three years who were no threat to this country. Have you noticed the face of the Fox News reporter? She looks like, <laughs> she looks like Britney Spears, who's who's seen a ghost. <laughs> I mean, her mouth is open; she, her, her jaw dropped. Very pretty reporter. But the information that I just put a few uh, points together, so we can talk about it. These are the takeaway points from Sonia Labosca's interview, who is a director of the Air Marshal Na National Council. Air marshals are stalking and following every single person who flew into the D.C. area around January 2021, even they, even if they did not go to the U.S. Capitol. Let that sink in. Here's a direct quote. We're not flying now. The only mission that we're doing are Quiet Skies missions, and those are missions that are following the January 2021 people. TSA has assigned air marshals to follow these people who have not had any type of criminal investigation. They have not committed a crime, but yet three years later, we are following the same individuals day in and day out. Anna, what's the verdict? What is awesome to me is it's pretty much the same language we use. She says, these are people that are no that present no threat to this country, which is what we have been alleging since day one. It's a waste of American taxpayer money. It's a violation of the Fourth Amendment because you're going around chasing people. It's a Fourth Amendment violation. It's a taking of their persons and their you know and and their person their person and their property in the Fourth Amendment sense because. You cannot be following people around unless you have a probable cause. There's something really wrong. She says, we're not looking for the bad guys. She admits, you know, these, these are good people. You know, these are people that weren't even arrested, that have not committed any crime. There is no legal authority. And, and obviously they are ordered to do so by DSA, but there is no legal authority for anybody to be chasing around innocent people other than putting them as domestic terrorists in the TSEB. Notice too, she says, not all of them know that they are on the list. Not all of them get the four S's in their boarding pass. You see? So, you know, this as well as the news last week of the baby 
and the service, former serviceman that was put on the list. This is what has to, to be shared because people have to understand that the targeting is not just for targeted individuals. It's, it's, it was going to be rolled out to the rest of the population, anybody that dared oppose the current regime. Yes, and I think we will be hearing quiet skies more and more. And I understand that the TSA has an authorization from the uh, Congress to make uh, flying safe so they can uh, uh, follow anybody who, who is suspected. But this woman is telling us that they're specifically following people who flew to Washington, D.C., on uh, January January 6th. That list they can only obtain from law enforcement, specifically the F FBI. She said it's a list. TSA does not create lists as far as I know. They receive the list from the FBI. That That's exactly it. The only agency that has a responsibility of creating this list is the terrorist screening center under the umbrella of the FBI, which in, in and of itself is under the Department of Justice. They're all supposed to look out for people's civil rights, constitutional rights, and that's not happening. So it's not like the quiet skies, and that's one of the things they're trying to say, that the quiet skies is another list. It's not. It's the TSDB. It's part of the TSDB, but maybe they have a subdivision of the J6ers in there. And that's why they pull out the names, you know, they screen more the J6ers than, as she says, the bad guys. The real bad guys are not being screened because they're going around chasing innocent people. I have a thought about it. If the biosurveillance and, and the thought control is really a program that already rolled out and the government is monitoring everybody's thoughts, that's the best anti-terrorism program. You don't have to fly in, you know, and expect somebody to start something if they didn't plan. And you would know if they plan because you read their thoughts. So air marshals have no business of flying because they would know through this program who is planning a terrorist attack. So they need to utilize U.S. marshals for something else. I mean, just think about it. U.S. Marshals are on the planes for the safety, and they're not putting them on the planes for safety because there's another mechanism to prevent terrorist attacks. We know that mind reading, mind control, uh, remote neural monitoring, you can re read their thoughts, is a real thing, real technology. And we don't know the scale of it. It might have been already rolled out throughout the population. I totally agree with you, but he, let me just put this example in here. You, you know that there's different levels of clearance, right? The people at Trevor's reading the thoughts of targeted individuals and non-targeted individuals, those people don't necessarily communicate with the air marshals on the ground because it's a different security level, clearance level to, to be a part, an active participant of a torture program that constitutes treason to this nation and continue to practice it. Let me give you the example of Robert Card, the shooter in Maine. Not only was he tortured 
by government criminals because he was hearing voices that led him and subliminal messaging to that led him to his violent conduct. But the criminals torturing him were reading his mind and they knew that he was going to go murder people in those places he went to in Maine. And they didn't do anything to stop that. They could have disabled them. At him, as you know, if these criminals wanted to kill us like this very moment, they could with one of their directed energy weapons and without leaving a trace or they could disable us. They could make us unconscious. You know, they could have done that to Robert Card, who shot uh, all those people in Maine and they didn't. They set him up and they pushed him to his limits and they pushed him to commit act of violence. And that's why I say and I reiterate that the families of those victims have a very good cause of action against the criminals that tormented, tortured, and pushed Robert Carr to commit those heinous acts. So they, the ones that read our thoughts, and this I learned from Mr. Lighthouse, the ones that read our thoughts do not communicate with the ones with the boots on the ground. And the same happens with the gang stalkers. They don't communicate because of their different security clearance levels. These people are tracking every person in the United States. There is not a need for a most wanted list because they can track everyone in the United States. So that's when you realize if they were communicating, then there wouldn't even be a most wanted list because they would have found everybody because those over there are doing the remote monitoring and the tracking with the locking marking satellites, they know where people are. Okay. Based on this news story, this is sort of a representation of what I think is taking place. TSA conducts this following of uh, law-abiding citizens because the FBI illegally distributes information about law-abiding citizens who have never been arrested, indicted, or convicted, etc., etc., etc. This is the Achilles heel, as you say. The FBI is only supposed to distribute that information about the criminals and not about law-abiding citizens who never who have never been arrested, indicted, or convicted. I'm gonna know this phrased by heart by the end of the show. My next slide is about the Quiet Skies program, because we're here in Quiet Skies, Quiet Skies, Quiet Skies. I finally want to do my own research. Typed it in Wikipedia, and it redirects you to the TSA page. And this is what the TSA Wikipedia page says about Quiet Skies. In July 2018, the Boston Globe reported on a secret program called Quiet Skies, under which armed undercover marshals in airports and on planes keep tabs on passengers' behavior and movements they deemed noteworthy, including abrupt change of direction in the airport, fidgeting, having a cold penetrating stare, changing clothes, shaving, using phones, even using the bathroom, and send detailed information to the TSA. That pretty much covers everybody in airports. Yes. Right? If you use a bathroom, that's a that's a suspicious behavior. And, and then what's interesting, so the Boston Globe uh, came out in 2018, 
And on the TSA website, there's not a section called Quiet Skies. So it's a secret program. But there's a Quiet Skies blog in August 2018 in the same year. And in that blog, here's a sentence that drew my immediate attention. Quiet Skies is another tool that allows the Federal Air Marshal Service to more efficiently deploy law enforcement resources. Hello, NCIC Network uh, Crime uh, Information Center system to focus on travelers who may present an elevated risk to aviation security. The TSA is telling us that they get this information from the law enforcement, from the FBI, from through the NCIC about criminals and about law-abiding citizens, which is illegal. In that context, uh, Len, this is so illegal because she admits that these are people that don't represent a threat to this country. So she acknowledges that it's a waste of taxpayer money, funded resources, you know what I mean? Because they know they're going around chasing innocent people. So that is an unauthorized use of government resources. I agree. This is my conclusion. Actually, for the entire show, distribution of information. Read it slowly so you understand it. Distribution of information on law-abiding citizens who have never been arrested, indicted, or convicted is not a category covered by the National Crime Information Center regulations and should be deemed illegal. Perhaps I've been too soft. Maybe it should be, it's just blatantly illegal. What do you think, Anna? Yeah, well, it is It is that one of the uh, allegations and arguments we have is that it's a violation, as I mentioned before, of the Privacy Act, because you cannot go around spreading misinformation, particularly if it's defamatory, about any individual. So uh, the government cannot, it's, it's prohibited from doing that. The Privacy Act doesn't just cover giving you access to the information and in the under the control of the government. The Privacy Act prohibits this kind of conduct, the labeling of an innocent person as a criminal. And that's we have alleged that from day one. We've argued it, argued it, you know, in the against the motions to dismiss and now in the appeal. It's just, you know, it's plain outright legal to label an innocent person as a criminal. I wholeheartedly thank you for sharing this news article because it ties beautifully into today's show theme. That's the show. It's a shorter show, and I like it because it make it made it more dynamic. And we are focused specifically on just a single aspect, but a very critical, which we owe you, Anna. Owe it to your investigative genius. I want. I just want to say, um, I have to file my reply by the fourth of December because I asked for an additional week in order to go check, you know, compare both word by word. So I'm going to be doing that. But I, I want people to know and understand we're doing everything we can to end this horrible program. I don't understand how the government can defend 
such an atrocious crime against humanity. It's just so not just unconstitutional, but it's dehumanizing and it's such a, an outright violation of basic human rights, you know? So we're working really hard and, and we really appreciate the support of all of those of you that write nice things to us and that, that really support us because that keeps us going. That is an inspiration that keeps, at least keeps me going in the midst of so much suffering that I know everybody is going through. Uh, are these your final words for the show, Anna, or you have something to add? I just want to thank everybody. I want to thank everybody for their continued support. And um, you should know that we're not going to stop until we are free. doesn't matter what happens. We're not going to stop until every single person, even in the last corner of Malaysia, is free. You are your words are an inspiration to us all. Well, this is the end of the show. I already told you I'm gonna call it the story of the disappearing sentences and the investigation that followed. I don't know about you, but I am truly astonished by the investigative genius of Anna Toledo. Uh constructing the right, just the right path to our freedom supporting legal fight for the liberation of all targeted individuals is the utmost priority of mine of anna's and of targeted justice unless this priority goes away expect us to be here every sunday rain or shine mm -hmm.